Howdy, you're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Uh, well, howdy. Uh, <laughs> man, that's electric. Look, I'm used to hearing, like, the ring of cowbells. I graduated from Mississippi State, so hearing that is, uh, is really refreshing. Uh, well, like William said, like, it is, uh, it is such a joy to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, I came back here, I came, we came to visit in October, Alex and Henry and I did, and I was really incognito. Um, I didn't come, actually, during large group, but uh, I met, actually met, like, a few of you on campus. I don't, yeah, so there's a few of you out here that, that, I, that I saw and met briefly, but, uh, but I just want to say, like, I am so eager to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm ready to, to finish up in Charlotte. Uh, so this song is very pressing on my heart tonight because I want to be here with you guys. I want to get to know you. Uh, and William's right, like, I, I felt, like, I walked through doors and someone made me this awesome name tag. Like, this is the best handwriting. I think my name tag, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and uh, I think someone else tried to claim that, though. So, um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, I've, you guys have already been so incredibly hospitable and warming, um, and uh, it's just a joy to be here. I do have some exciting news I want to announce. I can announce that. We talked about this. Um, we do have a girl intern coming in the fall, uh, and she is from UGA, uh, so yes, good odds. Uh, her name is Emma Pearson, and I just want to tell you, like, she is awesome. Like, we talked, I talked to her last week on the phone, we talked for, like, had been over an hour, and she is she's thrilled. Uh, she's really excited. I have her phone number. I'm gonna send it to William, and you guys like just as much as I've already received welcome from you guys. Like, just blow up her phone and just like say how excited you are for her to get here. Yeah, teach her all the. Uh, like, I got so much to learn. I just need to go up on YouTube, I guess, and just all the traditions and the sayings and the chants, and uh, I just I can't wait to be a part of that. And it's really neat to see y'all's loyalty for this school, and I'm I'm excited to step into that. Um, well, yeah, with further ado, I, like, let's just, let's start with scripture. Let's dive in. Um, I just want to say that it really is a joy uh, to be joining you guys uh, in your series, walking through the songs uh, of ascent in, in the book of Psalms. And really, this is, like, if this is your first time here at RUF, uh, these grouping of Psalms, this series that we've been going through, they're called the Songs of Ascent, because in the ancient Near East, like, Israelites all throughout the surrounding area of Israel, they would actually travel up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was like set up on a hill. They would travel up and ascend up to Jerusalem, and they would sing these songs. They would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship and to celebrate Jewish festivals that would happen every year. Uh, so just to kind of give you some context of what we've been walking through in this series, these, these songs were, these were the Israelites' playlists. This is their, 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 these were their road trip songs. Um, and tonight, Psalm 130, it really lives up to its name of a song of ascent. Uh, because the, the direction, progression of this psalm moves upward, out of the depths of anguish, and into the heights of assurance. Um, so let me, let me read for Psalm 130. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 130. Maybe, okay, it's up on the screen here. I'm going to read that for us and we'll pray and begin. Um, so this is God's Word, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. 
I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. With the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I pray that your word uh, tonight would not only be informative, but transformative for our hearts this evening. Lord, that we would cry out with the psalmist and taste and see that you are good. So Lord, I pray that you would convict us where we need conviction, comfort us where we need comfort, and help us to live as forgiven people, walking and resting in your steadfast love, which has been poured out on us through the blood of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So what I, what I want to say tonight is that this psalm teaches us something. What it teaches us is that no matter how deep you are in guilt and despair, you can cry out to God for forgiveness, knowing that he delights in abundant redemption. So, yes, I did. I do have three alliteration points. I know that's the classic stereotypical pastor, okay? But I actually doubled down for you guys tonight, okay? So, right, uh, verses 1 through 4, we're going to look at three different uh uh, features that characterize the song this evening. Verses 1 through 4, prayerful repentance. Verses 5 through 6, patient reliance. And then verses 7 through 8, plentiful redemption. So prayerful repentance, patient reliance, and plentiful redemption. So first, prayerful repentance in verses 1 through 4. Right, I want you to think of your favorite song this evening, or just, I don't know, maybe a song that you just love to listen to walking across campus. Right, every song has lyrical content with meaning, but it's always matched with a specific mood. Right, a lot of times that's determined by you know, the genre of music, whether it's hip-hop, hard rock, alternative. Right, I can pull up the lyrics to Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo, right, but it would be really hard for me to not hum the tune with some kind of teenage angst. Right, or, or I could pull up the lyrics to the Stable song by Gregory Allen Isaacoff, and like, it would just be really hard to disconnect this wonderful, mysterious comfort that this song brings. Well, the same is true for our song tonight. A good way to approach any passage in Scripture is asking, okay, what is the meaning of this passage? But also, like, what is the mood of this passage? And we'll get to the mood. And we'll get to the meaning. But the opening mood of this psalm is alarming because it, it, like, it should disturb us. But the opening of this psalm is like looking into the edge of a well, or looking over the edge of a well. And all you see is darkness, but all you can hear is the echo of someone crying out in severe anguish. And I always say this, whether you have been a Christian ever since you can remember, or if you're skeptical of the Bible tonight, like you will find that the Psalms will resonate with your soul, because they're brutally honest. Like the psalmist doesn't hold back, his heart is on display. And what the opening of Psalm 130 teaches us is that prayer is never more real than when it rises out of the worst places. Like, I think all of us could agree here tonight that prayer is just difficult. Like, if we were all to list, like, some of the hardest things in our Christian walk, like, I would imagine that prayer would be at the top of the list, if not the very top. But why is it that when we pray, it's usually in the moments of desperation or suffering? Well, the opening, opening of the psalm teaches us that deep places produce deep prayer. And the reality is, for everyone, right, that we have faced or we will face different kinds of depths in our lives. 
whether that's the depths of depression or the depths of our parents' divorce or the depths of relational strife and division. Or for many of us right now, that's just the, like the depths of exams and exhaustion because it's that time of the semester and your battery is low and you're weary. Right? The Bible teaches us that God cares about all of these things. He cares about every one of them. And he calls us to cry out about these things. But in our song tonight, the primary depth that the psalmist is crying out of is not primarily an external problem, but an internal one. Right? This, this begging and painful prayer is not merely a cry for the psalmist's circumstances to change, which he does in other psalms. But here it's a cry for what? Mercy. In verse 2. See, the psalmist senses his overwhelming weight of his own sin and shame. Consider his rhetorical question in verse 3. He says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Or in, another, in different versions, it says, if you, O Lord, should keep a record of sins, who could stand? And the answer is no one. Right? No one can stand before God. It doesn't matter how educated or successful you, you think you may be, or if you've been to seminary, or if you grew up attending church your whole life. No, the Bible tells us that none are righteous, no, not one. So it's this reality that's producing this deep conviction and confession of anguish and guilt as the psalmist wades in the depths of, his own, of the sin of his own heart. Conviction and confession of sin is always the first steps of repentance, which, like, that feels like death, but it always leads to life. Um, when I think of repentance, right, I think about the plot of the movie Shawshank Redemption, okay? Um, right, if you haven't seen this movie, you can plug your ears, like, it's kind of your fault, not mine, that you haven't seen this yet, though, because it's been out forever. But, um, but really, you can't plug your ears if you don't want us to. Right, but, but the, main, the main character spends the majority of the, of the movie crafting an elaborate plan to break out of prison. Right, but in order for him to break out, he has to crawl 500 yards through a narrow, through a narrow sewage tunnel full of filth and vomit and other unimaginable things. But on the other side, he's met with the freedom as the rain washes everything away. Like, like in the moment, this is what true repentance feels like. To dig and like crawl through the depths of your own sinful filth and mess of your own heart. Like asking yourself, like, can I, like, am I really like this? Like, do I really get this jealous? Am I really this vain? Like, am I, do I really, am I really this arrogant? And it feels like death and it's revolting. But you get on the other side and you're met with the, with the cascade of God's undeserved grace. And you begin to see that when, where your sin increases, grace abounds all the more. See, the psalmist's cry of agony provokes a really important question for us tonight. And I, yeah, I think it's important for us to hear now. So are we just as upset over our own sin as we are our suffering? Like, do we spend more of our time hating our sin as much as we do hating our suffering. Because like, if we were honest, this is just a little puzzling and frustrating for us. Right? Because with all the problems that were in our lives, like sin just doesn't feel like the central problem. Most of the time we believe that our main problems are just outside of us and we're looking for God to just find a solution for us. Right? Ah oh, God, like if you would only give me a girlfriend and boyfriend. Like Lord, if, if I were only a little bit taller, or only a little bit tanner, or like only a little bit thinner, 
like if, if I could just reach this GPA or if we land this job after I graduate, like God, if you'd only be, would be clear what I need to do with my life, if gas prices would just finally decrease. Right? Or, or do we spend our time thinking, Lord, there's just a lot of anger in my heart. Like, I'm sorry, I need you to intervene and soften my heart when I drive down Texas Avenue. Like, like Father, I'm just really jealous of her life. Like, please help me to remember and receive again the grace that I've received in the gospel. Lord, like, I just spent an hour gossiping about, gossiping and complaining about my roommate. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, please show me again my need of grace. See, and deep down, some of you tonight, you're saying, but yet, like, also, like, yeah, like, I do feel the weight of my sin, but on a much more severe level. Because if there are things that my friends or family knew about me right now, there's no way they would love me. But here's the good news for us. Nothing surprises, like, nothing we do surprises the Father. And true repentance, it never stops at verse 3. See, the psalmist is exercising a New Testament promise that I'm so glad God gave us in his word. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, in verse 4, the psalmist encounters the greatest conjugation that anyone can encounter in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon called it the blessed but. Right? But with you there is forgiveness. You see, the finishing of repentance is always the turning to receive God's forgiveness. The floodgates of God's forgiveness opens, and the psalmist sails into it, and he calls us to join him. Not just once, but every day. See, prayer for, prayer for repentance is not just a one-time event, but a daily pattern in the Christian life. Not just on Wednesday evenings at RUF. Like, not just on Sunday mornings. But every day, every moment. Martin Luther, in his first thesis of the of the 95 Theses when he nailed to the door of Wittenberg, his first thesis said when our Lord Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of the believer should be repentance. Why? Because we're a mess. Like we, we can't go two minutes without sinning. But God never gets tired of forgiving you. His forgiveness is inexhaustible. We get tired, but he never does. So like, if you feel the guilt of the weight and the guilt of your sin tonight, like, if your heart resonates with the psalmist, then praise God, because it's another opportunity for you to receive the unfailing forgiveness of God. And actually, the real danger tonight is that, like, if you don't see a problem, like, if you are numb to your sin, or you're indifferent towards it, like, that's the real danger. I love, uh, in Stubborn Love by Lumineers, right? It's been really feel pain, the nothing at all, the opposite of love's indifference, right? Can't believe I just sung for y'all. Um, <laughs> right? Like, you will begin to experience the true love of Christ, like, when you're willing to face the reality of your sin. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, the lowly, those who see their need of grace, those whose hearts are in the depths, his grace always flows downward, and there's no depth of sin that it cannot reach. And it's right, like, it's here that the mood of our psalm shifts. Okay, because the psalmist goes from out of the depths of receiving God's grace 
in verse 1 through 4 to a calming relief in verses 5 through 6. A patient reliance. This leads us to our next point, verses 5 through 6. A patient reliance. So how is God's forgiveness related to waiting? Like, one reality for all human beings is that, like, we, we all have to wait. Everyone waits. But what sets people apart is how they wait. Right? Two people can be sitting in traffic. One can be seething in anger while the other enjoying their commute home. But, like, in a, in a world of instant Google searches and four seconds in between Netflix episodes and Amazon one-day shipping and, I don't know, Instagram reels, like, waiting feels totally foreign to us. Because we're, we're used to getting anything and everything, like, all the time. Americans are anti-waiting. It's just true. Right? And the natural bent of our hearts as sinners is to be impatient. But the act of waiting is not new to God's people. Like, in fact, the longer you've been a Christian, actually the more you begin to realize a lot of the Christian life involves waiting. See, God has such a high view of it that he sets patience aside as a fruit of the Spirit, as a confirming sign to show that you've really been forgiven by God. Like, this is one of the central purposes of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like, those, they're evidence that you've actually been forgiven. So, like, we talk about evangelism a lot in our Christian circles. Like, but if you, if you want to evangelize the gospel, you know a good place to start? It's asking the Holy Spirit to teach you to be patient in a very impatient world. Like, that's a good place to start. <laughs> but the psalmist is not just waiting for waiting's sake. Because waiting always has an object. Right? I'm waiting for my diploma. I'm waiting for my tax returns. I'm waiting for my coffee. Twice the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord. You see, one of the consistent cries of God's people that you will find in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is, come Lord Jesus, come. A cry of deliverance. A cry for redemption. And the psalmist in Psalm 130 joins that cry as he waits for the Lord. And just as the psalmist waited on Christ's first coming, like, we are joining this cry, too, awaiting his second coming, when Christ returns to make all things new. And if you catch in verse 5 what was sandwiched in between this waiting, it was a hopeful reliance anchored in God's word. You see, the Lord understands how impatient we are. Like, he knows how quick we are to jump to conclusions, how distracted we get, and all the difficulties that we will face while we're waiting. That's why he gives us the constant, clear, and sufficient promises of his word. Right? Have you ever thought about the power of words? Really, like, I know that's like a weird question. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, think about the purpose of Psalm 130, how it was supposed to be used. It was meant to be sung and spoken. This is a part of the reason why God gives us the songs of ascent. So that we can sing them and speak them to ourselves and to one another. So if we are to be a waiting people, then we're to be a singing people. And even if you can't sing well tonight, like, I get, like, even if you don't think you can sing well, or you try and sing, it just doesn't sound right, like, God still delights in that. He still calls you to make a joyful noise. Like a father rejoicing in his son who can barely talk and babble. He rejoices in that. 
There's a reason why God spoke and the world came into existence. Like, there's a reason why Jesus is called the word of life. There are power behind words. That's how God designed it. Like, if you've ever been to a rehearsal dinner, like, there's a reason that that night is, full of, is a night full of tears. Because people are finally putting their thoughts and emotions into words for someone they love. Actually speaking or seeing God's word, it does something to us. We speak and sing God's word while we wait because it produces an unwavering hope, a patient reliance. And I, I, I love what the poetic imagery of the psalmist repeats here in verse 6. This is more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Right? I love this because you can, you can imagine this and you can feel it. Right? Like a weary watchman standing at his post longing for the night to end with the dawning of the sun. This image makes me think of, you probably recall this, recall this quote uh, from Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, right? Christian Bale one, okay, uh, Heath Ledger, not the new one with Robert Pattinson. Um, right, but Harvey Dent says, like, the night is dark just before the dawn, the dawn is coming. Such a good quote, I remember hearing that for the first time. Right, this is a great quote because it's redemptive language, but it doesn't originate from Harvey Dent <laughs> or Batman or any theologian in the past. This redemptive language, it comes from the Psalms, which leads us to our last point in verses 7 through 8. Plentiful redemption. See, in verses 7 through 8, this is where the sun dawns on our passage. Like, this is where all the trumpets sound. A psalm that once felt like a dark, bottomless pit now feels like a holiday at the sea. A cry of shame and guilt now turns into a cry of victory, love, and redemption. No longer is the psalmist in the depths of anguish, but now he's in the heights of assurance because he's a product of God's redemption. And this is always an assurance worth sharing. All right, in verse 7, listen to who the psalmist is addressing. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, plentiful redemption. You see, Psalm 130 begins as an individual lament. Now in verse 7 through 8, it transforms into a corporate call and blessing. The psalmist turns from looking inward to now looking outward. And this is what God's forgiveness do does to us. This is what his love does to us, what his redemption does to us. The gospel is called news because it was meant to be shared. And like, what this means for you tonight, like it means like you will love your roommates and your family and your classmates and your friends, like you will love them more when you receive again and rest again in the forgiveness that is offered to you in the gospel. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. This is, what hap this is what's happening with the psalmist. You receive it so you can get it. And the more you receive God's grace, the more you'll want to, you'll want to share it. And finally in verse 8, the psalmist concludes with this. That God will redeem Israel of all of his iniquities. What the psalmist is saying in this final verse is that if you have turned from your sin into Christ, then sin will not be the main story of your life. Because God's mercy is more extravagant than sin, more abundant, more abounding, more plentiful. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. See, this is a God who who takes our sin and shame 
and he moves towards us, and he redeems us. Uh, look, there, there's a story that's kind of circled around the Aryuk world. Um, I think it's fitting for the psalm tonight. Uh, actually, actually happened in my alma mater at Mississippi State back in the 90s, early 90s. Um, but if you've never been to Starkville, Mississippi, <laughs> I mean, it's much smaller than, than here. But... Uh, Right, but a college girl, her freshman, sophomore, uh, and junior year was dating this guy uh, coming into college. And uh, she was really involved in RUF, and uh, he, he just wasn't that much. Um, and he, he just wasn't a good guy. Um, not because he wasn't coming to RUF. Um, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Uh, right, but, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, he just wasn't a good guy. And there was her friends around her, some mentors in her life were saying, look, like, this guy's just not like a guy, like, it's, this is an unhealthy relationship, but her response kept being, you just don't know him like I do. And here's a freebie, like, that's probably a red flag if you're hearing that, okay? Um, right, but towards the beginning of her senior year, uh, she ends up pregnant. And at that point, the watershed moment happened where she realized, I don't think this guy loves me, he doesn't care for me, uh, he's just using me. But what she didn't know is she, she ends up breaking up with him. But what she didn't know is that there was actually another boy that had really liked her since freshman year in RUF. And uh, he, he finds out that they break up, and uh, he waits the obligatory two weeks because he doesn't want to look uh, desperate. Okay. Um, but he ends up calling her after those two weeks, and he says, you know, Sarah, like, I'd love to take you out. And Sarah's kind of flabbergasted, and she is excited because she thinks this guy's great. She says, "Like yes, like I, I'd love to." And uh, they hang up the phone, and then it hits her, like he doesn't know that I'm pregnant. And so she sits and she debates for with herself for a while, and she finally musters up the courage and she calls him back and uh, she says, "You know, John, like I'm so honored that you asked me out." But I, I just realized, like, you don't know that I'm pregnant. And there's a long pause on the other end of the line. And John says, well, I love pregnant women. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they actually end up going out, and they're actually married to this day. <laughs> like, like, for real. <laughs> like, it's a true story. Um, but, like, whatever you may think about that story, like, think about what must have gone through her mind. Like, she revealed at that point what to her but like the most shameful moment of her life. And instead of this guy retreating, he actually took a step forward and created a real joy in her. Like, I'm telling you, this is a small picture of Jesus. Like, Christ calls us to repent and confess the things that you're most ashamed of. And he promises he won't retreat. But he moves towards you in forgiveness. But you say, like, yeah, but Austin, like, I... I, I got wasted last weekend. Like, there's no way God can truly forgive me. Lord says, I still love you. With me, there's plentiful redemption. You, you may be thinking, like, yeah, but, like, there's no way he'll forgive me for that abortion in high school. Lord says, I still love you. That doesn't change my forgiveness for you. Yes, even on a Thursday morning, when the weight of deadlines, responsibilities, and activity floods our life, you're tired, anxious, and lonely. Satan, this world, and your sin will tell you, go back. Go back to verse 1. 
Go back to the depths of believing that your performance earns you forgiveness. Go back to the depths of trying to earn people's approval. Go back to the depths of unforgiveness and despair. But the Lord says no. Because of Christ, you were never meant to go back to wallow in the depths of verse 1. But, but you are to rest on the summit of, of his steadfast love in verse 8. Christian, this is your destination. He will redeem us from all of our iniquities. The Lord's love for you is steadfast. And with him, there is plentiful redemption. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we trust that it is only by the atoning work and sacrifice of your son Jesus that we stand forgiven in your sight by his perfect righteousness. Uh, for, in this we are, for in this we hope, because we're saved. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope, we do. We, for we, for, for we, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Lord, tonight we join the cry of all the saints who come before and after us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But until that day, we hope in the promises of your word. For with you, there's plentiful redemption. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you all around sometime.